From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and joining me today is the soccer beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, back on the podcast for, I believe, his second or third time. It's uh, Jonathan Tannenwald, and he's got multiple Twitter handles, which we'll discuss over the uh, course of this podcast. But Jonathan, welcome back to the podcast. It is it is good to be here from the, uh, the low, low area near sea level in downtown Philadelphia. Nice. Is it? Do you see the sun today or not? Uh, well, my windows are drawn, but yes, in fact, I do. Okay, good, good. Because I, you know, I've been watching a lot of East Coast baseball, and and the the sun has not been very friendly to the East Coast this spring. So hopefully that changes up for you. Fine uh, by me because I don't get sunburned. Uh, there's upsides. There's upsides to gray skies. Uh, so on the on the first podcast I did with you early in my run, you gave me a, a piece of useful feedback. Uh, to try to avoid using words and phrases like today and tomorrow and last week and this week and next week. And uh, unfortunately, I never developed that habit. So in the event I slip up, we are taping this podcast on Monday, June 3rd, uh, 2019. And I'm just curious, like, what is your general sense of the state of soccer since the last time I spoke to you, uh, probably uh, 2018-ish. Uh, is soccer star waning, waxing, or still the same in your estimation since I last talked to you? I never did figure out in high school English what waxing and waning are. Waxing is pretty good shape. Waxing is getting better. Waning is getting worse. Yeah, look, I think it's in pretty good shape, and I think it's still growing, but how you define soccer is an interesting question. Do you define it as the national teams? Do you define it as MLS? Do you define it as the English Premier League, whose ratings were flat this season despite an entertaining and close title race? Do you define it as the Mexican League, which is the most watched soccer league in the United States? Yeah. There's a million ways to describe it, and that's part of what makes it so interesting. Yeah, so for me personally, I, I probably try to define it as a sum of all of those things. Uh, and the reason for that is like when I look at any individual thing, let's, let's take MLS, for example. Um, I, I get the idea, and, and uh, just, just for uh, your knowledge and the listener's knowledge, so um, when I stopped receiving the daily data that I used to get and post on my website, um, you know, when I used to get that stuff, I was kind of just tied into constantly what was going on and how things were going. And uh, now that I no longer receive that data, and a lot of the data is just not really kind of publicly available anywhere. I don't have as much access to it, so I don't really follow the flow. But I, I do get the idea, uh, you know, that like something like MLS is pretty tricky because um, it looks to me like from the owner's point of view, all of the franchise valuations are rising, uh, despite the fact that operationally, you know, maybe none of these clubs have made any money yet. It's not really clear to me. And so it's really hard for me to kind of gauge what's the state of MLS because I think the owners are happy with the rising valuations. And um, I don't really know any other way to look at it. How do you look at that stuff? I think the quality of play in the league is the best it's ever been. I think that the attendances are in very good shape. I think they need to stop expanding at some point because, like, I get it. They want to be in all the big markets. Well, they're going to be in in basically all of them except Detroit soon. Right. And they probably aren't going to get into Detroit because the facility doesn't make sense to, to play there. And there's already a, a lower-level team there. Right. Nashville, Cincinnati, Austin, I'm sorry. They're great television pictures, but they don't move the meter ratings once. They just don't. 
And for as long as the New England Revolution are allowed to drift along the bottom because Bob Kraft is buddy-buddy with everybody who runs American soccer. As long as they're allowed to just, you know, float along the bottom like that and not actually have to care and not have to have any kind of economic rationale whatsoever to actually build a stadium in Boston, then MLS is not going to be able to fulfill its true potential. And that is just one example of teams in, you know, the New York teams have failed to fully catch fire because New York City FC doesn't have its own stadium yet. Right. Uh, Chicago, we'll see what happens when they go into Soldier Field next year, whether that makes a difference. Um, Philadelphia is a small-scale team in a big market, even though they're being successful on the field this year. And we'll see what Miami is able to do. You know, the big powerhouse, the team with the best combination of market size and success on the field is Atlanta. And even they are struggling a bit this year under a new coach. Right. The thing that I find the most interesting and I think this is something that not a lot of people are willing to talk about in MLS circles, um, though I am. <laughs> I, I think that uh, it's about time to admit that the young American and South American players who are, you know, who have, have made such a difference in raising the quality of play in the league and raising the quality of the young American player. Yes, there has been a gap for the last few years in the quality of young American players. Right. Um, because of the failure in 2017 and before that, the failure to qualify for two straight Olympics. And now with the U20s and some other young age groups, it's starting to come back and it'll make its way to the senior team eventually. But the young Americans and the South Americans don't drive TV ratings. Right. The old white guys do, <laughs> Ibrahimovic and Rooney. And then also, not just the old white guys, but... You know, Carlos Vela in Los Angeles is obviously a big one. So, uh, so, so yeah. it's, it's those are the guys who drive the TV ratings and it's in MLS's interest in every other way to not have. Yeah. You know, so if, if I can get you to weigh in on uh, Zlatan for a second. So, um, you know, this is probably my primary exposure to MLS over the last year is that he has been on the uh, five good minutes segment of the uh of, of PTI a couple of times. And he is, a, he's a, a fascinating and entertaining character. Um, but that probably has not driven me to watch any MLS. And I'm, I'm wondering like how, how has he helped MLS or has he? Oh, he has, he drives TV ratings and he brings in the casual fan who watches European soccer and only European soccer and right. thinks that they live five minutes down the road from Manchester United, <laughs> even though they don't. Um, out of curiosity, Robert, what would drive you to watch MLS? Uh, you know, that's that that's that's probably uh, that's, set yourself up for that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, so this is this is the landscape. I think um, they would have to spend uh, billions of dollars in marketing to somehow this is it has to become something like I have to think I can't miss. And um, there are very few things that rise to that level for me. And, that you know, these are habits that have, have formed over a lifetime. Changing these habits isn't easy. And uh, I think it's, you know, it's a combat. I, I, you know, I think the, the way all that works is it's sort of a combination of, uh, you know, parents getting, getting their kids into the sports and the kids staying into the sports and then their kids getting into the sports and staying into the sports. And um, that all soccer, soccer skipped those cycles with me. So I didn't get them, but uh, 
Um, I, you know, I don't use myself as a focus group, so I'm still generally, despite my own viewing habits, uh, I'm generally positive on, uh, on soccer and, uh, and, uh, I, you know, I think there's, there's, there definitely is still a lot of opportunity for soccer, despite my, uh, my personal feelings, if that makes any sense. So, so let me counter with this. And, and by the way, can I, can I throw something yeah. out? There's a lot yeah. of sports that I would throw this at. This is, I'm not picking on soccer. I would say the same thing about hockey. I would say the same thing about lacrosse. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, there, all of the fringe sports, you know, from bull riding to darts, I would say about all that stuff. I think soccer is in a, you know, in, in uh, levels, orders of magnitude, levels above, you know, the fringe sports. I don't think soccer is a fringe sport, but within soccer, I think some of the things might be fringy. Um, anyway, I, I want to make it clear though, that, uh, you know, my, my, I basically watch, uh, NFL football, number one. Uh, in terms of must-see, uh, in terms of time spent, it still winds up being Major League Baseball. And uh, then third on the list is, is NBA basketball, but it's a, it's a distant third. Um, and then there's, there's everything else. And um, So I didn't watch the Super Bowl, gladly. I'm not, I'm not much of a football fan. I have to deal with it for work. I would, and this will, this will play into about a half dozen of your narratives in the course of the football season podcast. <laughs> Um, I mean, I have to work during Eagles games, so I end up having to watch the Eagles games. But I would much rather watch the Red Zone. Me too. By multitudes. <laughs> Me so too. That, there's there's your there's your uh, when when you go around looking for the Red Zone viewership. Hello, guy. Here I am. Yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a I am certainly a a big fan of the Red Zone. In fact, I, I recently. Uh, I had to change up um, my TV viewing service because uh, I was using AT&T U-verse and they, uh, they canceled the NFL network and red zone from, uh, from their lineup and are trying to push people to direct TV. And that wasn't for me. So I had to switch, but, uh, um, so it's, but I got even better than that. Go. So I'm a, I'm a baseball fan. I'm a Nats fan, as people know, but I didn't watch the world series. I'm a hockey fan, as people certainly know. I've only tangentially watched the Stanley Cup final. Um, I'm a college basketball fan. I've had the NBA finals on in the background. Uh, I forgot. I forgot to add college hoops into the mix. I do watch a but, lot of college. But the, the point is this: my appointment viewing. Like it, it doesn't. I don't have appointment viewing. Right. Save usually for like the U.S. Women's National Team games are the appointment viewing for me. We'll get to them in a second. So uh, that's I'm I'm weird like that. You know, it's it's. I realize I'm sort of the counterculture in that regard, but I think that appointment viewing for a lot of people is going out the window, except for, as you know, the NFL, because people just really want everything else in the world to go away so they can watch football. So I think you're unique here only in that you're, you're admitting it. I mean, if you think about it, so even something like the Super Bowl, which, you know, averages like maybe a hundred million or a little more than a hundred million viewers, and it reaches say 150 160 million uh, who watch say six minutes of it so even that that's like the only program on television that has the the ability to reach more than 50 percent of the population but even then the segment of the population that doesn't watch any of the super bowl is significant even if it is a minority it's still you know it's still some like 40 45 percent of the country doesn't watch any of the super bowl so i don't and and as to your comments uh in this particular tv landscape uh i would not be surprised at all uh if 
you know, for, for people under 50, if that is not a waxing scenario where more and more there is no more uh, appointment viewing and they're just like, well, what do I want to watch on Netflix or what do I want to watch right now? Uh, so I do expect that, uh, that the appointment viewing that I learned in my youth as a result of only having, you know, three television options, that's going away. But that, and that is part of what makes the World Cup so fascinating. Agreed. Agreed. So before getting to the World Cup, so I wanted to, like, I know that, uh, and I'm, I don't want uh, a critical commentary on the final because I, like, I know that people weren't all that happy with the final in terms of, uh, in terms of it being an entertaining uh, match. But uh, I know Liverpool won the UEFA uh, Champions League, and uh, this was, uh, this was, uh, you know, Turner's. Turner again going at this in a big way with uh, TNT and Bleacher Report Live. And I'm just curious, what did you think of the coverage as someone who watched certainly more of it than I watched? The Turner people are not going to be thrilled with my answer. Okay. Sorry, um, sorry Turner, but I... I'm, no, they, I look, I talked to them a lot and they know this, I think. I watched Univision a lot. How is, uh, how's your Spanish? Not great, but enough that I can watch a soccer game in Spanish. Gotcha. And, uh, there are a couple, there are a couple reasons. <laughs> Excuse me. Bless you. Why I great. There come the Turner people. Allergies. They're, they're squirting pollen into your living room. <laughs> down the uh, down the series of tubes on the internet. Something. <laughs> um, I, you know, for a couple reasons. One is that um, Turner for the game broadcasts use the world feed by and large, which to me has marginal effect. I have a BR live subscription to the Champions League. I used it often enough. I did not watch their studio show. Um because I just don't watch studio shows. That's fair. And that real that's and, and I will disclaim that by saying the people at ESPN and Fox know this. I have told them before. Um and I have said that I apply this to all of the networks universally, so it's not any slight on anybody. Gotcha. The only, the only, I will watch the studio shows basically if it's between World Cup games. And again, if it's, if it's the women's tournament, I will watch every second of it because I really, that's what I really care about. Uh, the warm, the women's World Cup starts this Friday, June seventh. Hopefully, the same day that this podcast comes out. What are you looking forward to in the women's World Cup? Look, I, I believe pretty deeply that this is going to be the year when the corporate community realizes that you can actually turn a profit on women's sports. You can market women's sports and it will make money for you. Now, obviously I have an interest in that as somebody who has covered women's soccer for 16 years now, has along the way also covered some women's basketball, some women's hockey, um, and I have believed since I was a kid, and you can blame whoever you want to blame for this. I was born in 1983. Um, your listeners, some of your listeners, will do the math accordingly along the way, and uh, you know, 36. I five 36 in in uh, November. Okay, there you go. But you know the the education that I received growing up, both in the classroom and beyond helped me to realize that there's really no difference to the show. There's no difference to me between who plays the basketball or the soccer or the tennis or the 
track and field or whatever. It makes no difference to me. It's soccer and it's basketball so or, and so on and so forth. So when women play it, yeah, I'm good with that. Have been good with that for a long time. And obviously it helps grow women's sports in this country that our women are very good at basketball and often better than the rest of the world and are very good at soccer and often better than the rest of the world, though the rest of the world is catching up. And we saw that some four years ago in Canada, and we'll see even more in France this summer. Right. It's going to be very entertaining. The marketing of a World Cup when it is played in France or another major European country obviously is a benefit because, at, like with the Olympics, the World Cup is a travel show and not just a sporting event. So you will see lots of pretty pictures of the Eiffel Tower and the Arc de Triomphe and so on and so forth. And you will also see lots of pretty pictures on, in particular on, what is it, June 16th, I believe, uh, the Sunday, yes. Sunday, June 16th, the United States women play Chile in Paris at the Parc des Princes, which is one of the great soccer stadiums in all of Europe and has been for many years. Uh, and there will be 40,000-plus American fans in the stands who've gone over there on vacation. Uh, and it will be quite a scene. And it will be live on your televisions, uh, on Fox and Telemundo at 12 o'clock in the East, 9 o'clock in the West. I am sure that Fox wishes they could have it on a little later, but at the same time, uh, I know, well, I don't know, but I suspect that when the draw was going on, uh, they were holding their breath in terms of what time the U.S. might have a game on that weekend right? because they have the U.S. Open in Pebble Beach that weekend. Unfortunately, now the U.S. will play at 12 o'clock. They can have that on from 12 to 2, talk for an hour, and then go off to the golf. Uh, that's, a, that's a great weekend for Fox. So um, what what are some things you're hoping Fox will do with this coverage, and what are some things you're hoping they won't do? I can't answer that question because I know what they're going to do. And I know. <laughs> All right, so what are they going to do that you hope what they, they are, that you wish they wouldn't do? Well, what they're going to do is have a very pretty studio set in Paris across the Seine from the Eiffel Tower. Uh, it's a very nice backdrop. It overlooks sort of a public plaza, so there'll be a lot of fans out there the way they were. Uh, hey, hey, so Jonathan, if I can, yeah. if I can just interject that uh, I've been watching quite a bit of the French Open, and you know that stuff, it just doesn't. It plays it always plays well on TV, and I never get sick of looking at it. Well, that's as I said, you know, the World Cup is as much a travel show as it is a sporting event. Um, you know, four years ago in Canada, Fox had a set right on the water in Vancouver on the plaza where the Olympic right. torch uh, setup sculpture is, and there were fans there all the time. Uh, they have already officially invited all the U.S. fans going over to join them at their set uh, in Paris. It's at the Musée de l'Homme, which is right across the Seine River from the Eiffel Tower. Uh, so you'll see a lot of that. Their, their studio, the cameras in the studio face toward the Eiffel Tower. So it'll be right in the middle of the backdrop. Um, and you'll see a lot of fans over there. I would imagine on days when the U.S. plays, especially when they play in Paris, it'll be a little bit of college game day. Uh, and Rob Stone will be thrilled to have the company. Um, I mean that genuinely. He's no. already... Been sure very right. We will stay. They're going to have two crews over there calling games. Uh, JP Della Camera and Ali Wagner and Derek Ray and Danielle Slate. They're going to have, I believe, five crews total calling games. And three of them are going to be off monitors in Los Angeles. That is my only complaint. Right. They know it's my only complaint. Right. They knew it was going to be my only complaint before they told me. Right. And they agreed that it was my only complaint after they told me. Yeah, this is, this is, you know, these are some, sometimes these things are personal ticks with me. And it's just that that one, for whatever reason, it, it doesn't really bother me, but I know that there are a lot of people who get lit up. And, and by the way, not just for soccer, any, 
any remote productions bother people, some people. Remote productions bother me on a for a couple of reasons. One, they bother me on behalf of the people uh, doing them who can't speak up. Right. Um, two, and I, I think this is a little more true with soccer than it is with other sporting events. Because the camera is not is usually not on the full field, if something is happening out of the way, and I would say in particular when there is a substitute warming up, you can't see it. Gotcha. Yeah. So they're they're hamstrung on the the full view of the field. Yeah. That, right. Uh, that's a that's definitely. Yeah. That's a, that 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 is uh, your 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 tying one arm behind their back. I agree with you on that. It it also you know you want to be able to take in the atmosphere and relay the atmosphere. Right. Even when, yeah. as with the World Cup, it's a you know it's a world feed produced by the host broadcaster, and you take what you get in terms of the camera cuts. Um, it helps to be there also because you know you go to the you go to the press conference the day before and talk to the coaches and the players and so on. You get a little more out of that. Um, I just think it's a better broadcast, even when, as I say, it's a it's a world feed that you're taking and all you're doing is talking over it, and putting some graphics on it. The, inter- the, the the one variable, and I have not been able to suss this out of David Neal, although I will not be surprised if it happens. Last year with the World Cup in Russia, um, Derek Ray and Ali Wagner went over for some of the knockout round because it was enough of a commercial success for Fox um, that they put a little money in the bank and were able to do that. I will not be surprised if that happens again here with Jen Hildreth and Kindred of St. Augustine. Just to just to kind of tie it back to how you feel about the uh, how you felt about the Turner's UEFA coverage, yeah. If you had to guess, like what percentage of the Women's World Cup will you watch on Fox, and what percentage will you watch on Telemundo? I can't answer that either because I'm going to be there for two weeks. Gotcha, gotcha. So, <laughs> so, so if you know what, if if by some fate where they said, you know what, Jonathan, we're giving we're giving you a, a turn off of this stuff so you can just watch it and enjoy it from your from the comfort of your own home. How would you watch? I would reject the offer because I want to go. <laughs> uh, no, this is what this is what I did last year. And, you know, look, I, I guess the Fox people know this already or they won't be surprised when they hear this. I, I have a schedule that I put together where which it has all the, you know, each broadcaster calling each game, so on and so forth. And if it was a game that Andres Cantwell was calling, I watched it on Telemundo. I, I don't think Fox can hold that against you. No, well, right, but that, but that, in terms that in a World Cup, that is the appointment viewing in a World Cup. Sure, from the United States perspective, because he is as really good as John Strong and Stu Holton are, and I've known JP Della Camera for many years. He's terrific. But when Andres Cantor is calling a game, especially if it's involving one of the South American countries, right. you watch it, right. whether or not you speak all that much Spanish. Because it's such a joy to take in. I'd, I'd listen to that guy read the phone book. And then, and then the other, in addition to the two crews that Fox had over there, the other crew that they had last year that was really great was Derek Ray and Ali Wagner. Right. And I've known both of them for a while too. I, I, I've said this before to people on Twitter. I'll, I'll say it here too. I don't criticize broadcasters on Twitter 98% of the time because I know a lot of them. They're friends of mine. I'm not going to throw them under the bus publicly because I know how hard they work. And if people ask me to criticize broadcasters, I tell them up front, I'm not going to do it. And that's a, almost a universal. I'm not going to do it. So people know that about me up front. If they want criticism, they can go ask somebody else. Okay. So I oh. won't, I won't, uh, I'm, there's actually, there's no, there's, I, I don't have like some, uh, there's no uh, soccer talking head at Fox. I'm looking to take down. So, right. uh, or, so or, if, or Telemundo. So that, if that. this summer, certainly if there's a game that Andres is watching that is not involving the United States, People are going to watch it. Although Andres actually is in for a fascinating summer and a kind of crazy one. 
because he's going to be flying back and forth from France to Brazil, calling a few games in the Copa America and a few games in the World Cup. I don't know how he's going to do it, and I'm not sure that he does either. But Comcast has the checkbook. Thanks for all our cable. <laughs> you know what? So if you live somewhere where you can get Comcast, I don't. But uh, I am up. I I will. I will pitch the X1 as uh, something to consider. Yeah, I believe it or not, I will too. And I, I've i never been a fan of Comcast the Corporation. But in my building, which has the cable service baked into my rent, the service is very good. So I can't complain about yeah, that. Yeah, the TV product, it's it's pretty good as the, as the available TV products go, including the ones on uh, streaming services. Uh, Comcast X1 is, is very good. Anyway, sorry for the uh, the, the Comcast commercial. No, Comcast, if you want my address to send the check, or Jonathan's, I'll let you know what they is. Oh, they have mine. <laughs> they know how to reach me. I'm so, down the street from their headquarters. They know how to reach me. So, uh, you know, with the with the World Cup coming up, what are the U.S.'s – well, first of all, let me do it this way. What's your prediction for, for the, the United States team in, uh, this, in this World Cup? Uh-huh. I was wondering if you were going to ask that. I'm going to ask that. I am asking that. As of the day we are recording this, I have not published my predictions piece yet. As of the day this is pl- this is supposed to land in everybody's ears. And it will I can we'll pro- pre- I can promise you it won't be it won't go out before that. Well, it's it I think the US is going to win it all. Okay. Again. Okay. Which is my hottest take of the World Cup by a lot. <laughs> it that it that, that that does not feel like a scalding hot take to me. So uh, Well, here's the thing. A lot of people think they aren't going to, and I understand why. I think they are, and we can go into the weeds on that as deep as you'd like or only halfway. It's up to you. Okay, so I'd like to go into the weeds this way. So in the group stage, what are the big challenges for the for the women's U.S. team? They're going to walk over the group stage. So, so there are no challenges. So I just want— Well, I wouldn't say there are no challenges. Thailand, Thailand is bad. Chile is worse. Sweden's the big one. Okay, so so Sweden is a game. Sweden is a legit match, and the other two are cakewalks. Is that fair to say? Well, Thailand and Chile are going to sit back and bunker all day, and the only question is going to be whether the U.S. scores early or scores late. The Sweden game has a whole pile of storylines. Everybody knows, obviously, about three years ago at the Olympics, Sweden probably delivered one of the stiffest defensive bunkers in. Major international women's soccer history, the top teams don't really do that, and Sweden did, and they knocked the U.S. out in the quarterfinals. It was the Americans' earliest ever exit from a major tournament. Hope Solo called them cowards afterward, got barred from the national team for that instead of all the other things she did in the prior few years, Um, because now the Olympics were over, U.S. soccer didn't need her anymore. The lawsuits and back and forth and all that are well known. Right. I think to most folks since then. But the, the further story beyond just that game is that the United States has not beaten Sweden in a major tournament. And there are two on the women's side, the Olympics and the World Cup in 12 years. And they've played in major tournaments quite a bit. And but but Jonathan, so I'm you know, I'm a guy I'm looking for the drama and the, the, there's no drama in this for me, because even if they lose to Sweden, they're still advancing. Right. I mean, so where's the drama with that? Well, the drama starts after that. OK, so now. OK, so the, so. And you, in your your prediction is there is no drama really in the in the group stage. So get, go go on from the group stage. Talk about the there drama. There might be a little against Sweden, but there's it's Sweden is such a revenge game that that's the storyline. Gotcha. Yeah, but I mean, but but how even if they lose to Sweden, they're still gonna they're still gonna get out of the group stage, right? They are, and and then it's gonna 
there's a theory that you want to lose that game. I don't agree with it, and I don't think the U.S. will do it. But you want to lose that game to get into the other side of the bracket, which is a weaker side of the bracket. If I'm going to pull up my – you are listening live to the sound of my fingers typing on the keyboard as I, uh, as I dig up here my uh, predictions post. I'm getting the good keyboard sound too, so it's, yes. it's definitely coming through. Um, here we go. So predicting which teams will make a round of 16 in the World Cup is an interesting exercise. You get There are six groups. It's at the top two from each. And then you get the four best third-place finishers. Right. So basically, if you win a game in the group stage and finish third, your odds are decent that you go through. Right. And then it's sort of a crapshoot in picking the four. And then that affects, in turn, what the matchups are in the round of 16. Right. And it's it's the way I have it playing out. The United States is going to play Spain in the round of 16, which is going to be an interesting game because Spain's women's team has gotten a lot better in recent years. They can possess the ball and play an open game. They don't really have any any great scores, which is why they haven't hit the next level. But they will have the ball in that game against the United States in a way that lesser known your opponents don't always. Right. So then this is where it gets interesting. If the U.S. wins that game and if France wins its round of 16 game, the U.S. and France will meet in the quarterfinals in Paris. That's big. That is the game that everybody has been talking about ever since the draw came out. It has the potential to be, in terms of scale, I dare say it is the biggest game in women's soccer history. Because either the United States is going to win that game and probably go on and win the whole thing if they do. Or France is going to win and signal the power shift that the United States is not the best team in the world. Anymore. Which is not a bad narrative for soccer even if it is a bad narrative for the U.S. Well, here's the problem with that. The United States drives more commercial investment in sports than any other country. Right. Or at least it has until the last few months. Now, all of a sudden, in part because the NWSL can't get out of its own way and doesn't have a staff big enough to actually go and get more key corporate sponsorships, we have seen significant investment in, European, in women's soccer in Europe, in England, in France, in Germany, and the Netherlands. If these corporations that back the U.S. women really care that much and want the U.S. women to stay at the top of the heap, they have to put their money where their mouth is and put some money into the NWSL. And it's not happening. And that's in part the NWSL's fault because they don't have a strong enough front office or even a big enough front office to go and get the sponsorships. Right. But if the U.S. does win this, then I think that the dam might finally break here and the NWSL is going to have to compensate going to have to capitalize okay so uh, i'm going to get you out of here with a, a couple of ratings predictions so let's assume that uh that it goes the way that you think it's going to go that the usa meets spain in the round of 16 and uh, then hits france in the quarterfinals and let's say that they get through france and they they coast into the final and they win the final okay so in that scenario which game has a higher rating the usa versus france or the usa versus whoever they play in the final well the finals on a weekend and the quarterfinals on a monday i think so the final okay and will that final outdo the record-breaking final no. of 2015 no. you say no because of the time difference what, what are the what are the factors yeah the time difference is the big one okay 
Um, and not only the time difference, it's not just that it's earlier, it's, it's at 11 a.m. Eastern, right? which is 8 a.m. Pacific. Right, 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 right. It'll do a big number, but, and this is where, one of the reasons why the number is going to be down relating to the kickoff time is that uh, the final isn't even in prime time in Europe. Right. Which is a big issue for a lot of people. Right. FIFA allowed CONCACAF, which is the North and Central American Confederation, and CONMEBOL, the South American Confederation, to have their men's tournaments, Continental National Team Championship games, also on July 7th. The Women's World Cup final goes first, the CONMEBOL final is in the middle, and the CONCACAF final is at night. Now, initially, the TV networks came around and said, hey, this is great. There's going to be all this big soccer on in one day. Until <laughs> folks came around, and I was one of them, came around and said, can you really not let the women have the day themselves? Give people a couple of teams to keep their eye on in the group stage, to start watching it in the group stage that uh, that you think nobody's talking about that uh, that are, or even if people are talking about them, most people in the United States aren't keeping their eye on them. Who, who, sure. Which teams should we look out for? Well, I, you know, I, I think the certainly within the women's soccer fan base, people know about France, Germany, England, right. Brazil. Those four teams have been very good for a long time. The two teams that I think are going to emerge into the conscience in this World Cup are Australia, which has started to do it a little bit already because um, a, lot, some, a number of their players play in the United States, including... Uh, their star forward, Sam Kerr, who might be the best pure striker in the entire World Cup. And the other one is the Netherlands, which won the European Championship two years ago, have some very entertaining players that play for very good teams in Europe. And uh, I think those two teams have the potential to make a deep run and to become much better known in the United States as a result of that. I will I will keep my eye on them for sure. And uh, Jonathan, a pleasure to talk to you as always. Thanks for joining the podcast. And I'm going to try and uh, circle back with you in a few weeks to uh, to see how this played out. And did, did it go like we – I mean, we, we seem to think we know exactly how this is going to go. We don't even need to watch the games. I, I'm pretty sure it's not, probably not going to go that way. Well, the one team I'm rooting for that is the real underdog is Jamaica, which is playing in the uh, Women's World Cup for the first time ever. Who's their draw? Uh, they are in a group with Australia, Brazil, and Italy. That Australia-Brazil game, by the way, might be the best game in the entire group stage. Jamaica in the Women's World Cup for the first time ever. They are funded by one of Bob Marley's daughters. Nice. They are, um, they've got a bunch of, of players who played for U.S. colleges, including Bunny Shaw, who's their top scorer. They had a, it caused a huge upset in the CONCACAF uh, World Cup qualifying tournament by beating Costa Rica. Uh, and, and, and reaching this, and it's 21 years after the Jamaican men uh, played in the World Cup for the first and thus far the only time ever. That was also in France back in 98. Um, they're going to be a great story. They might lose a lot, but they're going to be a great story. That's good. So uh, so did your parents have a good anniversary? I heard it was their anniversary on uh, Kornheiser's podcast. Uh, they did. They, they celebrated it by flying off to Europe for a couple of weeks and... Uh, Enjoying themselves on a cruise around Scandinavia. Are they going to be in France for the uh, for the World Cup? They are not. They will be home before I leave. Uh, have safe safe travels uh, to France, and uh, I will you. I will check back with you in a few weeks. As a as a fellow loyal little, it is always good to talk. To you.
Likewise, my man. Take care.